Liberty lockdown, piss down your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a, another Liberty guest with me this week. It is Life Coach Imposter, a.k.a. at Liberty Imposter. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We got to build that account back up since you got fucking nuked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead now. I'm a small account officially. <laughs> you want to tell people what happened? Oh, man. Um, I mean, you know, Cliff's Notes. Yeah, Cliff Notes version is basically just I I probably made a couple too many Ruth Bader Ginsburg jokes and <laughs> they decided to just kill me for it. Is there ever too many? Um, seriously, though, what say. what what was their uh, their notice to you? Did they? Because obviously I've never been nuked, so I, I don't know what's it say when it happens. Yeah. So when I got the email from Twitter, they basically said that I had two accounts that were. Um, building off of each other, um, which they called platform manipulation. Uh, um, so I had parody in my bio. I had, you know, obviously my accounts were parody. I made sure to market that way. And so they said it was platform manipulation because I had two accounts building off of one another. I can't believe that that's grounds, but that's I mean, crazy. They, catch, they, they basically will just make rules so that they can get you off for any reason they want to. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that. And then you have to say, well, I guess technically I did break the rules. It's like, bro, <laughs> fucking rule, dude. I know. It, that's the one the one aspect of uh, libertarian argumentation that drives me crazy when they're like, it's a private company. They could do whatever they want. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, sure, you're right. But that doesn't mean we can't bitch about it. It's kind of like free speech. We I know. To, we get to have an well, opinion. That- that seems to be the funny thing about a lot of different topics. It's like the second you complain, somebody's like, well, it's not violating the non-aggression principle, bro. It's like, <laughs> it's not the fucking point. <laughs> well, I, I feel aggressed upon. Hey, I, I, actually, yeah. wanted, I actually wanted to ask you, because we, we had that, um, I, don't, I forget, was it the second debate or the last debate that I was on with you and Freckles and Britt? Oh, that was the that was the election night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, election night. Um mm-hmm. So that we we started to talk briefly, but I never got to like dive in. Uh, you seem to have strong opinions against the LP, and I'm obviously. I mean, you followed me long enough now. You know, I'm not some LP tart either. But I would like to know <laughs> a little bit further as to like what your uh, your gripe is with it, and you know, see if there's any differences of opinion here. Uh, with the LP, um... or or just libertarianism as a whole, however you want to. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think libertarians are well read enough. Honestly, I think I think a lot of libertarians are really lazy. They kind of get like their talking points. So taxation is theft and the Fed, <laughs> um, you know, just whatever else there might be there. Um, boogaloo, <laughs> whatever it is, they figure out their key terms. They kind of get an idea of why those things exist. Um, non-aggression principle is a big one. Um, and then all of a sudden they think that they just have a, you know, full fledged understanding of how everything should work. Um, and while I appreciate the idea of using non-aggression principles as a 
presupposition for how you interact with people. Um, the, the idea that that is just the end all be all of, you know, um, how the state ought to act and how morality ought to be, et cetera, is just kind of silly. Um, and so that's my gripe with libertarians. Is they just seem to simplify an ideology that is much bigger than what they've actually looked into. Um, and then with the Libertarian Party specifically, uh, it just seems that they have been very content um, trying to appeal to lefties um, rather than with the right who is far more compatible with their ideology. Um, and that's been kind of my, my biggest, my biggest complaint. And I think Nick Sarwark is a fed and I think there's probably more than one fed in the LP. Uh, I don't think you've said anything I disagree with. Uh, I think the one thing I would push back on is I think that most libertarians are actually better read than pretty much any other contingent of political thought. So while I agree, many are probably lazy and probably haven't dove deep. Um, you know, I, I've, I've spoken with, it's interesting because like obviously you can find some socialists out there that have actually read some of the you know root material sure. for the ideology right. but i think for the most part they're all meme warriors too like they don't have any actual grasp mm -hmm. on it so right anyways that's that's a, a minor pushback but otherwise i agree and I, I do think that sarwak is probably a fed i know that sounds crazy but um you know his behavior is so bizarre to me it's hard to to understand any other well andy was showing up he was showing up in um Sarwark was like showing up in the WikiLeaks. Yeah, I know. He, I, mean, he, I mean, and he was also getting what? he was also getting um, some sort of mailer that you can only get if you have had some sort of CIA connection. And he claimed that it was forwarded to him by a, a relative of his. And I was like, okay, dude, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> you know, there's actually some some fire to that smoke. Uh, whether or not that constitutes actual evidence, I don't know. But I'm right. I'm more you know, a priori deducting that he's a fed just based off of his unbelievably awful leadership of the LP and his yeah. constant trolling of anybody that disagrees with him. It, mm -hmm. what, what's crazy to me is like, obviously, yeah, like the Ron Paul root cause that, that really is what modern day libertarianism is founded upon um, is a right leaning cause, you know, cause that's how Ron was. So it's, it's very bizarre to me that, that they've taken, not only have they sought to actively pursue lefties, but they have sought to actively condemn and separate and distance themselves from anyone that leans right in the liberty movement. Right. And I think that is just, you can't even call it a catastrophic mistake. It's just, it's so counterproductive to the cause. It, it right. seems intentional. Well, I mean, and it's bizarre too, because despite, you know, all of their efforts, <laughs> to to lean toward leftists um you know well first off you think about like rothbard and mises they hated hated left-wing people hated them i mean like the stuff that they wrote about left-wing people is funny because they were just not into it and so anybody every time you bring up rothbard or you bring up mises they're like oh you really think that rothbard and mises would would agree with you on this like well they wrote it so i mean yeah i would, I would hope so yeah oh. Rothbard's thinking evolved. Uh, there was a few iterations of him where he was a little mm -hmm. bit less, less hateful, but I agree. Right. I mean, and honestly, I, I kind of feel like I'm on that path, not to compare myself to Rothbard by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly in the sense that 
I used to have a decent amount in common with your average Democrat in terms of like the legalization of drugs. And yeah. I, I used yeah. to be more pro-choice than I am now. And, um, yep. and uh, you know, criminal justice reform, all those things used to be kind of the planks of the Democrat party and ending wars. I mean, there right. was, right. there was many aspects actually of Democrats in the nineties. Not that the I, case anymore. Yeah. And now yeah. Uh, pretty much every single thing that I support I get a little bit of it from the right, you know, the Republicans, mm -hmm. and I get nothing from the Democrats. Like literally everything they do is counter to what I believe in. So I don't understand appealing to these people. Like, sure, mm -hmm. go ahead and try. Like, yeah, of course you have to have a wide net if you want to win a national election. But ultimately, you know, these people aren't, they aren't with you. Like their entire ideology is, is opposite of ours. So I, I don't right. understand the attempt really. Well, and it's strange too. I mean, in 2020, we've seen, anti-war sentiment become mainstream i know it's beautiful which is insane i mean like donald trump is like we have to pull the troops out and like all i mean just everything else going on we're watching people like dan crenshaw i mean I, you saw my tweet earlier yeah um dan crenshaw was tweeting about oh we can't pull out of uh you know the middle east too quickly because and everybody is like f you dan crenshaw i know and what, like we've been here great. for almost 20 years you're out of your damn mind that's and great so like, progress. Yeah, it's crazy. And so you have like, we're at the point now where being pro Middle East, like being in the Middle East is not a cool, is not cool anymore. Like nobody's okay with it anymore. Everybody's over it. Yep. And so like, we're seeing anti-war becoming mainstreamed and it has nothing to do with libertarians. Yeah. And, like it's not, and, I mean, there might be some libertarian influences in Rand Paul with, you know, Donald Trump and stuff like that. But he's not a libertarian. He's, I mean, right. as far as the party goes, he's a Republican, which shows that Republicans are still more effective at, at advancing libertarian ideas than... Exactly. Like, that's, that's the one thing I always have to clarify with people is that I'm not saying to abandon libertarian principles. Rand mm -hmm. Paul, in his capacity to shift Trump's perspective on these items, has been invaluable. It's been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So... Right. Uh, I think we probably would have gone to war with Iran in January if it weren't for Rand Paul. So yep. in, in many ways, you know, whether he's an R or an L is irrelevant. Like the, the ideology is still potent and still important. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, viability for the LP, yeah, it's, it's laughable at this point. And the trajectory of it is a disaster, as we've discussed. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I just think I just think that as a whole, our country is becoming less statist. It's becoming more interested in liberty and it's starting to realize who is taking those away. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with four years of Trump. Um, that's why like I'm seeing guys. So I'm seeing a lot of guys on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere like that. They're like, I'm a Christian libertarian or I'm a Christian anarcho-capitalist. And they're like, uh, but I would never vote for Trump. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and they're talking about like, yeah, maybe I'll have to see what the Democrat party looks like. I'm like, but you wouldn't vote for Trump. Like it just, it, the whole thing, like just everything that he's done over the last four years, he's taken away all. I mean, like he's taken off the mask of the left, the deep state, the military industrial complex. He's shown it for what it is. I mean, politics um, are, are at this point, just the entertainment the entertainment wing of the military industrial complex. Like he's just completely showed these people's hands. Um, he's been 
actively against a lot of the conservative principles that you would think Christians would have. Um, and so it's just funny, like just seeing how libertarianism has essentially not libertarianism, the libertarian party and the people right. associated with the ideology have basically even turned people that are like on the Christian side of things toward like, yeah, I'd vote for a Democrat before Trump. And I'm like, that just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, and I think, I mean, I definitely have more in common with a Trump voter than I do a Biden supporter. Like I have essentially nothing in common with a Biden supporter, uh, you know, principally. So right. I agree. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's such a, uh, such a weird time because, well, let me, let me back up and say, because I know a lot of people will push back against this. I would have supported Trump if I didn't view our budget deficits as being an existential risk to our country. Um, if that, if that were not the case, much of his presidency has been more successful than I could have dreamed. So I think that the only thing that, that he lost me on, which I think is the principal libertarian stance is to say he exploded our budget and he basically didn't come out strongly enough against the lockdowns. Like those are the two things that made him a non-starter for me and for many I'd imagine, but those that were against him because you know, Russian collusion and all this nonsense. I just, I can't even like speak to these people anymore. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, I, I didn't really support Trump until probably the last few months after I really kind of realized what was going on, (laughs) especially once the elections happened, once that happened, I was like, I see what he's done. Like Mm -hmm. now I get it. Like Donald Trump has, once people don't trust elections at all, which is our sacred, you know, our sacred practice in the U.S., um, you know that the mask has been ripped off. Mm-hmm. And you start to see, like, holy crap, the clown show that has been the last four years. Um, that's the only reason that I can even think I would support Trump is just because it seems like he has come in and shown us the clown show. Um, as far as the budget deficit goes, as far as um, uh, the, the lockdowns. Yeah, the lockdowns go. I I just I'm with you 100%. Like there and and there's been other stuff throughout the last 4 years where I've just been like, mm, yeah, the bump great. stock bans and there's there's yeah. a handful handful and of things. Take your guns first and you know, yeah. due process later. It's like, yeah. So yeah, there's certainly things where I'm like, okay, Donald Trump is not great. But then there's other stuff where I was like, okay, yeah, this is we we this is the best president. This is the best US president since before Nixon. I agree. I, I honestly, I have to agree. And I, it sounds ridiculous coming from me because I, I have railed against him for all those things that you just listed, but mm-hmm. um, that's just how low the bar is, you know, like right. <laughs> the bar is just that low. And, it is. and when you, when you look at the plank of, you know, a Biden presidency with Kamala in tow, it's, it's horrific. I mean, it, it oh. is, it is genuinely an existential threat to, you know, anyone that values freedom. And I, I completely agree. I, I don't know how anyone's like, oh, I got to see how the Democrat, you know, who the Democrats are on. It's like, bro, have you been paying attention? Like the Democrat party is anti-freedom, like mm-hmm. clear as day. And, you know, you can have whatever. Yeah, I don't like how he tweets. I don't like his attitude. He's divisive. It's like, okay, well, get your fucking emotions out of this. Like our, the yeah, fate of right. our country is on the line. Yeah. And your, and the fate of your individual freedoms. Yeah. I mean, well, that's that, just to me, that's- that is our country. Right. Yeah. And that should be the biggest issue is people, people, and this is, I mean, the, I don't know who to blame here. I mean, I want to blame the 
globalists and the deep state and everything else and just go full on mask off here. Um, but they've convinced people that their liberties are something to apologize for. Yep. Like you, you know, if, if you've hurt somebody's feelings by, you know, waving, waving your liberties around, whatever those might be, um, you're a bad guy, which is just crazy to me because instead of thinking about, yeah, I'm going to get more of my money stolen. I'm going to be able to own less of the things that I would like to own uh, guns. Um, everybody's like, Oh, well, Donald Trump hurt somebody's feelings because he made a retard joke. <laughs> and it's like, wow, <laughs> that, that is where we are going to draw the line. Well, the thing, the thing that I find most bizarre about that is that libertarians, I thought understood what a show all of this was. And I can't understand not being both relieved and exhilarated that the mask is, is, you know, dropping that we're getting yeah. to see the inner workings of the beast more. And, and this is, this is what we've all kind of pontificated on just based off of our instincts and, and some, some reading and some reports, obviously there's some actual fact to our belief system when it comes to how corrupt government is, but um, much of it, you know, you have to kind of glean from, what they actually do. And, and with Trump, it's been like, we finally, like, he's, he's like saran wrap around the the machine. Like we get to look right into it. And I, I just think right. that that's been unbelievably powerful and, and probably the most hopeful I've been in a long time is that, especially with this election being thrown, the right wingers are going to have no choice, but to really deeply reevaluate their faith in governmental institutions. And I, I just don't see how that's anything other than a victory. Mm hmm. Right. And you see, and, and that's been one of the funniest things is you see, you know, the neocons and you see the, the centrists and everybody else who obviously have interests in uh, in going back to the way things were prior to Trump. Um, and then maybe, you know, doing their own thing a little bit. But you see these people who are like, oh, I guess Trump lost. Darn. And they're all trying to, you know, they're all trying to be like, we just have to unite with the Democrats this time, I guess. And everybody's like, yeah, fuck you, bro. <laughs> like, you're insane. You actually think like the last four years, people have been calling me racist. They've been calling me a bigot. They've been threatening to ruin my job. I'm not allowed to say the things that I want to say, because if I do, I'm going to be unemployable. I'm going to be, you know, harassed. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to have to try and make a GoFundMe, but then GoFundMe is going to take that down because they don't care about my livelihood. I mean, like, and then I can't, bitch, I can't bitch about it on social media either because I'll get banned. They're going to kick me. Yeah, I'm going to get banned. So it's just every single thing they kick out your legs from under you for four years. And it's been, they've been doing it for a little longer than that. I mean, even like about 2014 when we started really seeing the riots start to ramp up and stuff like that. And now, now they're like, Oh, you have freaking Penn Jillette coming out and tweeting like, I just want Joe Biden to love Trump supporters. Oh, he's going to love them. All right. <laughs> yeah, he's going to love them right into the oven, bro. Like this is insanity. And we're supposed to just unite. Dude, people are not taking this. People aren't OK with this. I mean, Dan Crenshaw is getting tons of shit, which makes me really happy because even three or four weeks ago, people were like, oh, well, what do you think? Uh, I patch guy. I'm like, I patch McCain, bro. 
that guy is trash and you'd have to explain it. Now I don't have to explain it anymore. Exactly. I, I just said, you know, John McCain didn't die. He was just reincarnated as this fucking scumbag. I, I, yeah. I've been standing on this for the longest time. Like as, as, as soon as that dude came into the public view, I could smell it all over him, just like mm-hmm. straight up John McCain vibes. And then he goes on Rogan and he's an oh, overnight yeah. overnight superstar. And Rogan says he'd even, you know, consider voting for him. I'm like, this is a fucking disaster. Rogan's such a fucking idiot. Well, the <laughs> SNL thing, you think that was an accident. You think yeah. you think him getting made fun of by by what's that goofy kid's name? Uh, uh, yeah. Pete. Pete. Yeah, uh, Davidson. yeah, Pete Davidson. Yeah. You think that was an accident? Yeah, no, they they like to no way. they like to boost, you know. Mike members, military industrial complex members, whether they're mm-hmm. D's or R's. And yeah. uh, I just, I just think he's a rat and I, uh, yeah, he is. Yeah. He's got, I mean, obviously he, he talks a good game. I, I listened to the whole Rogan episode. He's got a few things that sound good, but at the end of the day, like, as you were saying, I think that the anti-war movement is, is growing. And really for me, like I, I can't control very much of what our government does it seems like it's a total runaway fucking snowball. But when it comes to ending the wars, like if that's the one thing that I can participate in ending, like that, that to me is the most valuable. That's the most egregious, horrific thing that our government does. So if we can have any, any sway in that, that's, that's a huge win. Totally. hundred um, percent. So you wanted to, to ask me about, um, I, I did, what is, what, what's this new shit called at the top of the fucking Twitter, the videos? The flit, the what are they? The fleets, fleets, yeah. Okay, so I sent, yeah, I I sent a couple fucking gay fleets today, um, showing off my house, and I've got a whole bunch of DMs from people asking me about like what I do for a living. And I I talked about it briefly on episode 19, but I know obviously not everyone's listeners, and and I haven't gone into much detail. So, um, you want to just talk about like investments and and how I got here, or do you have any specific questions I could get into? Absolutely. Um, it's actually. Uh, I know I was telling you this earlier, but it's actually one of my favorite, one of my favorite topics to go over is actually money, entrepreneurialism, and uh, how to win. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't really, don't really get it. Um, but uh, working hard and making a lot of money is actually how you win. That's not, making the money isn't winning. Using it is, is winning. Yep. And so, um, yeah, I was actually pretty excited when I saw your, your, uh, your fleets <laughs> dude this is the goofiest thing i've ever said it's really it's really tough to say it it's weird it it hurts a little to say it actually <laughs> um but yeah so i was curious um about kind of what you did and what i mean i don't know you said you were like retired now um yep, yeah, kind give of. me give me some insider information here um so i i mean long story short obviously i'll boil it down but um, my dad was a mortgage broker when I was a kid. Uh, well, actually he wasn't, he was, he started off in precious metals investing, which is probably why I'm a libertarian. And then, uh, he became a, a hard money mortgage lender and he did that for like 20 something years. I worked for him for the first six or seven years out of college and got paid shit and hated it. And it was awful. And then we had a falling out and I started my own company, um, to compete with him. And instead of competing, he decided to retire. So, uh, I was able to kind of poach some of the better investors that we had been working with and, and he became a, an investor with me as well. So uh, it ends up being a, a happy story at the end, but I was about it, to say, man, I was like, that sounds like a, a couple of bad moves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, 
it was intense. I, I quit because he uh, he had kind of. I mean, he screwed me over. He screwed me over on a deal that we had. Don't um, do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whenever you're dealing with a, like a serious businessman, even if it's family, um, you better get that shit in writing. That's all I have to say. So, I didn't. Uh, I took his word for that's it. That's not I, just that's not just family either. That's your dad, bro. I know, I know. But but it, like I said, it all it all ends in sunshine and rainbows. So no hard yeah, feelings. Like, yeah. Um, uh, he's obviously he gave me the tools uh, to be mm-hmm. so successful on my own. Um, basically, what I did was. We had six employees in his old his old company. I quit. I went on a like three week cruise with my girlfriend at the time to just kind of unwind because I had just been burning at both ends working for him, and I was just totally exhausted. I got off the cruise ship, and he uh, he had emailed me saying like I don't know why I did this. I don't know why we are you know going down this path, but I think you're fully capable. Like you should probably start your own company. I was like, yeah, well. I had already decided that while I was on the cruise. So, but I appreciate your, your support. And I started it. And then uh, a few months later, he retires and I start off uh, with no employees. And in the first year of business, I did more loan volume than he did in his last. So with no employees, he had had five and then I just did it all on my own. And I outsourced, you know, doc prep and escrow and everything else that we had done in house and uh, loan servicing, all that. So that was, that was really it. Like I, I, I had worked as his director of operations. So I was able to like witness the ins and outs of the business, really understood it um, on a very deep fundamental level. And more importantly, I was able to identify all the redundancies in the business. And, and what I realized is that like, basically all of his old school ways of doing things of like having everything in house was not earning us a penny. Like if anything, it was a, a loss. So I just, when I started my own company, I immediately implemented all of the things that I had taken from that experience right. with him. And because of that, you know, I was very successful. Right. Instead of up. having, instead of having four or five full-time people that aren't necessarily always turning something out, yep. you just kind of get the, yeah. Yeah. That and then sense. I, and then I get all the profit because I don't have anybody to pay. It's perfect. Exactly. Right. And so, um, Oh, as, you want, you as want me, far you want, as your, uh, sorry, I was going to say, you, do you want me to explain it's what your show uh, I know, but do you, do you already know what I did? like what the what the company actually was well that's what i was about to ask okay <laughs> well <laughs> perfect uh so yeah, yeah it was it was uh I, i'll i'm not gonna say the name of the company just because i i don't want to have smart yeah um but basically what we do is same concept as a bank so someone comes to you for a loan to buy real estate and they can't qualify for a bank loan either because they need it very fast, you know, cause oftentimes underwriting with a bank takes up to like 45 days, sometimes longer. Right. Um, I can process a deal in about a week and all of my capital, instead of it being, you know, like federal reserve window, I have private investors that give me their capital and then I deploy it. So that's the, that's the business model. Um, the, the borrowers either have, you know, too poor of credit or not provable income. Like a lot of self-employed people use hard money. Um, but the the general parameters for it is that if someone's buying a property and they have a, a large down payment, say 30% or more, um, regardless of their circumstances, I'll give it serious consideration because I feel like that's a pretty solid investment. I have all of that equity as my cushion in case of default. And right. then I fund it um, with private investor capital, interest rates being anywhere between eight and 10% interest only. Um and no prepayment penalty loan term is usually two years. So the investor gets a nice better, better yield than they can find pretty much anywhere unless they get lucky in the stock market. And the borrower 
is happy because, you know, they get to purchase this real estate that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So that's, that's how it works. Wow. And is that a, uh, did you have to get a license for that? Yeah. I am a California real estate mortgage broker. Okay. So um, you, you gotta, you have to be a licensed real estate agent for mm-hmm. four years and then you can become a broker. It, I have no idea why, right. you know, to be a mortgage broker, it has nothing to do with buying and selling real estate, but this is how awesome our government is that, you know, that's, so <laughs> that is, that's the license I have to have. Wait, so you had to get the California broker license, the real estate broker license. Yes. Rather than just a mortgage broker license. Correct. Because for that's bizarre because broker, I mean, a brokerage is what em, essentially employs real estate agents. Yep. Uh, or at least holds on to their licensing. Exactly. Um, and so, but that doesn't have a lot to do about money. That has a lot to do with, I mean, as far as the typical understanding of a broker goes, that's going to have more to do with uh, transactions and sales. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. It, it makes why no is sense. That it makes no sense. It's just the regulatory body that that can audit me, and you know, like that's the Overwatch mechanism. So um, they don't have one for hard money lenders. Other than that, you know, the, there's a, an entire different line of certifications and regulatory bodies for conventional mortgage brokers, where um, you could have to get like a, I think it's called an MLO, a mortgage license originator or mortgage loan originator license. Um, but those are only for conventional lenders. So if you're actually getting the loans through banks, then you have to have that kind of licensing. But because I get my capital privately, I don't have to have that. It's really strange. So, I mean, real estate licensing as a whole is a racket. The entire, yes. And the, it's a joke. The, the entire profession is basically a racket. It's, yes. it's a government instituted racket. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost, it's almost valueless. And they, these people get yeah. paid like, you know, two and a half to three percent of the purchase price or the sale price, and of a home. Right. Yeah, it's it's one of the weirdest. I, like anyone that wants to get rich quick, like I always tell them, like if you're serious and you're a hard worker and you're like a good wheeler and dealer, like get into real estate. Like not not necessarily my field because you have to have a lot more understanding of like risk yeah. parameters and you have to right. be able to talk to wealthy people and, you know, convince them of your sanity and your capacity to, to invest properly. Like not everyone could do that, but in terms of just buying and selling real estate and representing people to do so, like, please go do it. It's easy money. Yeah. yeah you can make $250,000 a year. Um, yeah. starting. Yeah. If well, uh, if, you, a, if you can find a decent team. Yeah. If you get on a good brokerage, it's totally true. And, and you could do it without a freaking college degree. It's like, I don't yeah. know. I honestly don't know why more people don't do it. Um, but whatever, you know, teach their own. <laughs> so then in order for you to get your broker's license, um, you have to get your real estate sales agent license first. Yep. And then and- you have to, then you have to hold on to that for four years, but there are also the stipulations that you have to have a certain amount of sales as well as a certain amount of income brought in. So were you selling homes prior to getting your license for no, uh, because because I worked for a brokerage that was that was adequate qual- qualifications and and back then I mean this was quite a while ago you didn't actually have to have any transaction history you could just hold that real estate license do nothing with it and then get your broker's license they may have changed those Is that qualifications right? oh they did oh they did okay yeah yeah so that that's or at least they are in Texas they're different they're, I mean probably different but oh yeah they're definitely different um but yeah if I end up moving out to Texas I might have to go through this whole process again to 
be able to broker deals there too. Um, You'll be able to transfer your license over. In Texas, you can do that? There'll be reciprocity. Yeah, I mean, California is way, way, way more strict than Texas. I would imagine. That's that's why yeah. I'm interested so in Typically, it. when you transfer from somewhere that's more strict than a, you know, better state, mm-hmm. um, you'll be able, you'll, there'll be reciprocity of some kind. You might have to, you might have to sit through the 180 hours of classes, but. Yeah, well, you know, no big deal. So anyway, so back to you making money. Yes. Um, so you started your own business and you did that for seven years. So, I mean, what were, you know, the ins and outs, what, what was your upfront costs in starting your own business? Hard, hardly work? anything. I mean, I had to really? file an LLC. Um, God, I mean, I got a new computer. Like it, there was nothing, there was not much to it. Like the, this is all, you know, um, like kind of a sweat equity type operation. So, you're, if you have the relationships and you have the know-how on how to underwrite a file to make sure that it's a quality deal, you're pretty good. I mean, the the big risk with this industry is that a deal blows up, my investors can sue me. So like, you have to be very cautious. And I think that's that's probably my biggest skill set. That's probably why I come off as more of a pessimist when it comes to my investment guidance for people is because my job is to look at the worst possible scenarios and then to prepare Mm -hmm. for that. So, I mean, because of that, oftentimes I'll be early on my, on my, um, predictions because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of a fortune, I'm a fortune teller. I'm, I am, I am looking ahead and I'm seeing the issues that are coming and like, that's my job though. So it's good to have that skill set, but not everyone does. So that, that's all I do, uh, is I, I basically have to, you know, make sure that the, the investment at the time I funded is extremely sound. And then, you know, if the market melts down, hopefully I've done a good enough job with my underwriting that I don't end up getting sued. Um, but as far as the, the returns go, you know, I get two to 3% usually uh, origination fee on the loan amount. So if I lend say, I mean, just for easy math, I'll say a million dollars and I, and I clear two points, I make 20 grand. So that's how it works. And if, right. if you do, you know, 10 or $20 million of loans in a year, that ends up being a good chunk of change. And if you have no employees, it ends up being a really profitable business. Right. Yeah. When your overhead is low. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Basically no overhead. So that's how I do it. And, uh, you know, probably only half of my net worth actually came from the business though. The other half came from, uh, real estate acquisitions. So as I was kind of growing within the industry, um, particularly in 0809 when the real estate market ate shit, I went out and I bought as big a house as I could possibly find, which was this 4,000 square foot behemoth on 1.7 acres in Escondido, California. And I bought it for 400 grand and ended up selling it for a lot, <laughs> a lot more. Um, Shut up. Yeah. So I, I did. grand? Yeah. Well, in, in that time, I mean, I, Oh no. Yeah. It, everything tanked. I mean, Phoenix was a hot yeah. spot. Tons of people were buying houses for 10 grand. Yeah, exactly. And, and this, for 200. this house needed like $80,000 worth of repairs. So it, it wasn't, you know, sure. it wasn't a no brainer because everyone was fleeing real estate. Like, I mean, no one was buying real estate back then. And that's the time to buy. Anytime you see an asset class, mm-hmm. that's like that you just dive in head first. And that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I live there. Um, and because I live there, I was able to get, you mm-hmm. know, almost a quarter million tax free because right. federal, federal tax law says that 
if it's your primary right. residence, if you've lived there for or two at years, least two two out of the last five. Exactly. Um, yeah. And don't don't think for a second I'm being condescending to you. Just for the listeners that don't know, um, that's that's how it works. So if you can do that, I mean that's life changing money right there. Like how what other opportunities are there that exist where you can get a gain of up to a quarter million dollars and pay no taxes on it? Like I don't know of any. Very few. Um, unless you're keeping it on the down low. Right. Right. But I mean, this is like, unless you're, unless you're being a good old agorist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to move a quarter million, uh, you know, as an agorist uh, outside Mm -hmm. of the eye of the IRS and to do so safely. So this is the only way that I know of that you can legally evade taxes and that's to buy real estate and live in it and then sell it. So I did that a bunch of times. Um, just kept, kept moving, kept, you know, buying nice houses, living in them. Uh, usually I would live in, like, if I could divide it, it, all my houses have been two stories coincidentally. And I've always divided them, put up a wall and lived in one half of the house while I rented out the other half. And then because of that, I've lived for free, um, for the past fuck 12 years now. So, mm-hmm. um, because of that, you know, I have no overhead with my business. I have no overhead with where I live. So every penny I've earned has basically been direct saving and investment capital. And when you start to do that, you can get the compounding interest um, effect where, you know, I'm able to now lend my money out at nine or 10%. And I'm able to every penny that I get from all my investments is also just surplus capital because I don't, uh, all my expenses are covered basically. So right, um, all of this adds up to a very rapid accumulation of wealth. And, uh, you know, I bought a triplex in Paris, California which I made a killing on. I like doubled my investment on that. It was a nightmare to deal with these tenants, but um, I I did that. Now I'm building six houses in National City and uh, I hope to sell the house that I'm living in today as well as those six houses by next March or April. And then I will truly be retired. Nice. That's that's, crazy. That's everything, man. um, Without prying, without prying too much. Um, and And I'll word this appropriately. What is a realistic goal for a regular person to hope to achieve financially um, if they were really to bust their balls in five years? Let's say they, let's say in real estate, let's say they get into real estate. What's, what's a realistic goal for somebody to be able to, to clear in five years? You mean as in like actually save? Or, yeah, or just, I mean, or just if make they, if, they're, if they're saving and I mean, obviously this is a, this is, this can fluctuate for a lot of different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. I mean, if you're in California, it's going to be a lot higher than if you're in say, I don't know, Ohio or something like that. Sure. Um, but I would say if you're in a, a more affluent area, I think that you should be able to clear and save like a quarter million in five years. Like, I think that that's a reasonable goal to have. Um, that's only 50,000 a year that you have to actually save. That means you probably have to be making close to 200 gross before taxes and then living frugally. Um, you know, that, that's how, that's kind of how I did it. Obviously my, my numbers are different than that, but, um, I think that that's a reasonable goal for someone living in Southern California. If you're, if you're in Ohio, you might be able to do it with, you know, $120,000 income. Um, and maybe you could only save. 175 or 200,000 over those five years. But if you do that, you know, that money goes a lot longer wherever you're at. So it's kind of the same deal. Yeah. Awesome. 
So uh, you're talking about moving to Texas now. <clears throat> Thinking what's about it, man. Your, uh, what's kind of your goal? I mean, what do you? <laughs> what does retirement look like? How old are you? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Yeah. Okay. So what is what does retirement look like uh, for a thirty-eight-year-old? Well, I, I mean, realistically, I'll never retire. Kind of like my dad. Like he's still an investor, but just my my primary job at that point will be, um, you know, managing my investments and then. Right. And then podcasting <laughs> and, and shit posting. <laughs> so yeah. the you know that's kind of that's kind of how I envision my future. Like that's why I'm taking the show so seriously because this is what I'm passionate about. This is like what gives me, uh, you know, some sort of I don't know, like a feeling of of making a change. Or you know, I, I have so much free time already because of all of the sacrifices I made in my 20s and my early 30s to to save and invest. That it's like okay, well, this is like, this is what I've always dreamed of. You know, like I've always planned on being here. Um, I actually did it. I didn't necessarily know that would happen. Uh, but now because I've done it, you know, I want to, I want to have some way to make a difference in the world. I know that sounds totally grandiose, but um, just being honest, like that's, that's what I'm passionate about. I want to give back to the community, <laughs> you know, in terms of like the libertarian or the liberty minded community. I, I think that, you know, there's, there's so much like there's so much truth economically in the philosophy that that like it should be a kind of a natural path for the liberty community to end up being financially free and financially financially successful and i know that not all of them are and i mean a lot of them are just young and a lot of them have families and there's a whole bunch of reasons so i'm not I'm not shitting on anybody um right but i'm just saying that like i would like to be able to help you know input like give people the tools to implement the knowledge that they have, because like, I know you guys get it. Like, I know you guys already understand what, what you need to do, need to do. Um, but like, I can actually show you the investment practices that can help get you there. And so that's, that's kind of a minor aspect of my show. I haven't made that the focal point because I don't feel like, you know, people know me well enough to even know if they should be taking me seriously. Right. Um, but I think at some point people will start to get it. Yeah. I found that that laying out principles always tends to be the most valuable way to get people to really start thinking about these kinds of things. I mean, you think about somebody like uh, Robert Kiyosaki or, um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk or anybody like that. Um, and you read their books and it's never, uh, they're never giving you hard and fast ways to make money. It's always, it's always principles to understand how to save and then utilize cash flow. Yeah. Um, Which is important so, if someone needs the inspiration, but if you already have sure. that inspiration, sometimes you just right. need the next step. Somebody to kick you off. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, I mean, like you were saying earlier, like you had a bunch of people that were uh, DMing you because they saw your house. Um, I mean, I certainly did. I was like, is he, is he serious? Cause I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that much about you personally. And so I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. But I think <laughs> that's always really good because then once you, you have built that spot for yourself where people do trust you or, you know, want to trust you. I mean, they are going to reach out and you're going to be able to implement those things even more. Exactly. Um, and, and that's, that's been the coolest part about my show is like right. uh, some of my earlier listeners, like I, I gave episode 19, I kind of did a, a, a extended version of my backstory and why I care about all this stuff. And um, at the end of it, I just laid it out there. I was like, Hey, anybody that's listening, if you need financial advice, DM me. And like, I got a ton and a bunch of people have been, you know, going back and forth with me, asking me questions. And, um, I think, 
at the end of the day, like, especially for has anybody made money yet? Well, no, because I, I don't think this is a good investment investing environment. So like my, right. my primary advice to people is to have patience, obviously get some diversification into um, hyperinflationary hedges. So like if you want to, you know, get your feet wet in crypto, buy some precious metals, like I I'm totally on board with that. But, but ultimately, you know, most of the people that have been DMing me, they don't have enough assets to make much yet. So like right. the, my biggest you know, message to those people is like, you need to cut down your expenses and save money so that you can be a player when this market melts down. And I, I, I foresee the market melting down catastrophically over the next decade. Um, so if you have capital to deploy, you're going to make a killing. Um, so you just have to be in that position. So that's, that's the biggest thing I'm trying to motivate people to do is to, you know, get ready for the storm, so to speak. Okay. So that's curious. Um, <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> you mean before the collapse or, or for the show? Well, both. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah. For the show. I don't know. How, how long do you, how long do you do your show for? Oh, I, I can go all night, man. Whatever oh, you okay. want. Right on. Cool. Um, okay. So that, that's curious then. Um, what are the factors you're seeing that make you think that we're going to have a collapse within the next decade? That seems deep. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, it's our national debt. And I think that at 28 trillion or whatever it's at today, um, it's just a recipe for disaster. Like the only reason it's sustainable is because the Fed has successfully suppressed interest rates so that the debt carry is, is manageable. But at some point, um, I believe that, you know, macroeconomic forces will ultimately force the Fed's hand to the point that like, Either they have to hyperinflate our currency and default on our national debt, um, or well, actually hyperinflate it so that they can conti- continue to afford it. In which case, the purchasing pa- value of the dollar decreases, and then you have riots because people are starving. Kind of the Venezuela route, um, or they can, you know, just default on it outright, which I don't think they'll do because then you have the you know direct blame to be placed on them. So I just think that 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 is. Basically, like we've never, we've, there's never been a country with a larger total debt than us. And, right. you know, we have, we have taxed our people to the hilt. Like you, you can't get blood from a stone. Like there's no, right. there's no more room. You know, they, they talk about wealth taxes and all this other shit. Like all you do, I like all I do is work just a little bit more background. I work with some of the richest people on earth. Like I work with very wealthy private investors. Right. These people, all can you know get around whatever bullshit that you throw at them like they that's that's the whole game the whole game is like the wealthy are a, like yes they do pay a lot of taxes don't get me there's wrong there's a reason they're wealthy is what you're saying for sure but i'm also saying like you've already taxed them upwards of 50% of their income these people will just retire like they'll stop producing and that'll create a depression if you do that so um right. one way or the other you're going to break the system. You're going to break the back of, you know, the golden goose. And, and I just think that we're so close to it, particularly if we end up with a Biden presidency and if we end up with the, you know, the left-wing loons that are driving this socialist bus uh, in control, it's, it's only going to get worse. And I don't think that they understand that ultimately there is a breaking point. Like there is a point at which wealthy people will stop producing and they'll just rest on their laurels because they don't want to, be taxed 80% of their money. Like they're going right. to stop producing. So right. um, 
you know, we're at, we're at the, we're at the limit. And, and if you need more money to sustain your unbelievable socialist hellscape, at some point you can't get enough. And then you have to go to the printing press. And if you go to the printing press, you end up inflation. And that's why one way or the other, I see a collapse in the next decade because of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and I, and I think it's funny. I think a lot of people are, are more or less starting to plan for that. I know. Um, and that's and thrilling to me. I'm so happy. Yeah. My, uh, personally, I mean, my goal is to get myself upwards of 5,000 acres in Montana. Hell yeah. And never make another thing for anybody. <laughs> I love breed, it. Just going to breed, breed some horses and some cattle and, you know, make sure I have enough money to cover taxes. And that's going to be the end of that. I love it. Um, that's the skill set I totally lack. I'm like, I'm like a financial wizard and I know how to do nothing with my hands. So I will be worthless in the apocalypse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm really fortunate because my, my dad basically can figure out just about anything. And so I get to just, you know, watch, get to watch the old bald man work. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of other people are of that mindset now though, of, of um, you know, there's no better time to retire than when everything is going to shit. Yeah. Um, Cause unless you're going to be able to do something for your local community with that money, or, you know, unless there's some kind of a purpose for you to make fiat currency, which <laughs> in the face of, uh, of national Armageddon uh, fiat doesn't really mean anything. No, um, it, it won't. I, I really believe that. And it's going to come down to other factors. And I do think that property and having um, necessities, natural, natural, not natural, natural resources, but, but um, you know, food, mm -hmm. uh, water, uh, anything for self transport, anything yeah. for self sustainability. Yep. Right. And I, and I think that's how you're going to be able to help people the most, you know, yep. and, and protection, you know, yep. absolutely. You're going to need protection. It's not going to, it's, they're not going to be able to rely on their local, you know, principalities to protect them. It's it, dude. The world didn't even end and the cops already abandoned us. Like we yeah. had, we had a minor, you know, relatively minor riots and the cops were yeah. just like, you're on your own. <laughs> Sorry so, guy. Yeah. So Thanks if for we, your support, if we, had, if we end up in Venezuela types, uh, you know, scenario, Forget it. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you are 100% on your own. And I don't think people get that. Like you are going to have to defend your family potentially by force. Like that, that is the fate that We're I, gonna have that to, I really you're gonna have to pay somebody else to do it. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you have uh, you know, cryptocurrency or if you have silver bars or something that you can pay a mercenary to come protect you, you then print 80% lowers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, then yeah. God bless. Then you're you're good to go. But that that yeah. has been my mission is like I wanted to get in a position position financially where I could then kind of lift up my life, plan it somewhere where I feel is like defensible and kind of could be a com compound for those that I love, and then you know hopefully start a cult. I'm just kidding, but yeah, not really. No, the cult <laughs> idea is actually I would say probably the first step you should take. <laughs> start the cult first. <laughs> figure out the rest later dude you're my first member welcome i mean that seems to be how everything else goes they're like first we're going to start a cult and then we're going to build a compound <laughs> and once we have the compound built the fed is going to attack us and we're all going to die yeah exactly or we're just going to drink kool-aid i'm then... i am david koresh reincarnate yeah yeah can't, can't wait um but seriously that that is like i mean other than the cult factor uh that is kind of <laughs> that's kind of where i'm headed with this thing is like 
Yeah. I, I just envision, I, I was thinking about Puerto Rico, um, but now the Democrats, if they actually win and if they actually get control of the Senate, they're going to make it a state, in which case all of the special tra- tax treatment will go away. So I'm back at square just, one with that one. Yeah. I, I now, mean, now Texas only, may be my best bet. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of safe bets. And one of those I would say is almost definitely Montana. Yeah. Um, Montana has crazier people than probably anywhere else yeah uh in the country um those I feel like people... i gotta find my wife before i fucking move to montana though bro no dude you find her in montana because she's gonna be what you want <laughs> how do i she's find already... her though there's like 10 people there dude you just walk through a field maybe like get shot or something like that and some beautiful woman is gonna find <laughs> you in the field and she's gonna say papa papa and she's gonna take you to her dad so that she can fix you up and then she's gonna fall in love with you because your <laughs> well, eyes while, like, while, while she applies the tourniquet yeah and while your eyes are fluttering in your in your <laughs> knocked out state you know i'm telling you right now man all right all right find I'll, a woman I'll, I'll reconsider i just felt it like... might sound very lady of the lake kind of thing but hey <laughs> all right I, I just felt like maybe i could you know there's so much so many more people in texas and they're all not all but any of the ones that i'd be interested in would be you know, so freedom oriented that I could definitely find wife caliber. And then I could be like, Hey, Jake, you want to, you know, go live in a 10 acres in Montana or something. So, yeah. You're like, you know, imposter, have you ever heard of Tinder? (laughs) Sometimes that works. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's the dude. That's the hardest part about online dating is like my, my ideology is so extreme at this point. Like I have to know your political leanings. Cause like, I can't like right. any girl that I'm interested in, like in her late twenties, almost all of them are, are like lefties, you know? And it's just, yeah, that's going to be a disaster. Well, I mean, so. and that's, that's, that's what I'm saying though, is that, I mean, that's why you move to an area where you know that there are going to be women that, that tend to have those same political. Exactly. I mean, that's like Montana saying. is one of those places. I know. Uh, I, I believe I you. It's just, is there enough, you know, like, are there enough females? Yeah, that and aren't they all married by the time they're like twenty three? Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about the. You know, I didn't really care about Montana until I was already married. Um, but I or can tell or you- I could wait until the apocalypse happens and then I have this dope compound and then I get my pick of the litter. Yeah, you just steal one, <laughs> or you just pay a dad a pig. You just say, hey, you know, how are you going to feed your family? I'm going to purchase your daughter, bro. Paying the dowry, son. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to go straight Game of Thrones style. Yeah. Dude, I, yeah. I mean, it's either Game of Thrones or uh, or we're looking at uh, basically the Wild Wild West again, which I'm all for. If we can go Wild Wild West, bro, you'll never, I mean, you'll hear about me. I'll, I'll be like one of those uh, lone gunners. Yeah, for be, sure. I'll be in one of the gunfighter ballads one day. <laughs> I love it. I'm pretty handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. But yeah, um, yeah, Big that's iron. the one. That's the one. That's the one thing I'm good at is with guns. But otherwise, I am worthless on a farm. So I'm gonna have to really figure this shit out. But you know, fortunately, I'm young enough and I have enough resources that I can actually, um, you know, give that the time and concern it requires. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see. How many kids you got? Just one. Right now, yeah, we have one. Um, we are, you know, not trying not to have another one. <laughs> um, the moment that we we find out we are having another one, we'll be very thrilled. Um, awesome. but yeah, uh, we have a father have... treating you. Mm, you know, it's the best. Um, there aren't many things that, uh, that really motivate you 
more than having a kid. And I know a lot of people say this. A lot of people are like, oh, once I had a kid, I became more motivated. And some people, you know, that might be true for and other people. It's total bullshit. Um, but I'll tell you right now, like um, I had my son. I ended up starting my own business. I ended up, you know, really uh, kind of just going into how do I make money? How do I provide? You know, because one day I'm have grandkids. Um, and can that's I, when I ask really, what you do. Um, right now I'm just working in sales. Okay. Um, I am the reason I know so much about real estate is oh. because I'm just about done with my license. Cool. Um, and so I'll be getting my license shortly and then working for, um, ideally one of the best teams. Hell yeah, dude. Um, get, get that money playboy. that I'm telling you, there's yeah. nothing more thrilling than getting paid for like money in money, like input in money out like when you actually get mm-hmm. commissioned for your efforts it's fucking like i don't know not everyone functions that way some people can't even handle it they need a steady paycheck i'm the complete opposite like take your yeah. piddly steady paycheck and shove up your ass i want fat commission checks when i actually do something well so my my cost of living is incredibly low um i have lived off of very little money for a long time i've never gotten handouts i've never you know um and so I was doing marketing. Um, I was doing production and media stuff. Um, we were making videos. We were working with different companies. Um, one of the guys I worked for, um, he's known as the guy that revived MTV in the nineties, um, by shooting Blink-182 music videos. Um, and so I've, I've done my circuit in media. Um, and so I found that that is a very competitive market. And that in order to succeed there, there's just, you know, I, I have all the connections, but I just don't have the, uh, working with people in media, they are very flaky. Hmm. There are a lot of flaky people. If you meet somebody that's really good with a camera, odds are, uh, he's going to be interested for about a week and a half. And then after that, you'll never hear from him. <laughs> uh, and so it's just a really difficult business to, um, kind of run just because everybody's really flaky. I mean, that's just how artsy types are. Yeah, that's the true. Art, the art type guys are just very flaky. They're bad with money. Uh, they'll call you back when they don't have it. Um, and so, not my cup of tea. Um, but so, yeah, I I, uh, I just moved back to Texas in March. Um, I grew up here. I moved back to my hometown, um, which is just one of those things where you're like, What? Like I never saw myself going back to my hometown. Not, not even that was never in the cards. <laughs> Dude, I never and, even left, but I, I happen to be a born in heaven. So it was tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't want to give that up. So yeah. was I, I, well, I wasn't born here. I grew up here, Okay. Um, but I'm in the sticks. I am in between San Antonio and Austin. How'd you find your wife then? How Facebook. do you find a wife in the sticks? Facebook. What's up? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I deleted my Facebook once they started, you know, selling our info, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know. I, so, uh, let's see. I lived in Phoenix. She lived in Florida. Wow. And, uh, her family was all from Phoenix. So apparently they all grew up there. Okay. And so she was like born in Tucson and, you know, <clears throat> so she's from the area. And so it was pretty easier, easy to get her to come out and visit. Cause her grandma lived there. Gotcha. So so yeah, you, really weird, man. You had never met her. You just you plunked her off online. Yeah, basically, I, I, yeah, 
It's yeah. weird, man. I, I've had some, I, I've had some interesting relationships in my life. Uh, <laughs> and this one has been by far the most uh, interesting, but also the most uh, productive and fruitful. Yeah. Sounds um, as if. Are you guys yeah, married? I mean, yeah. Yeah. We've been married since uh, 2017. Awesome. Um, have a two year old now. And uh, yeah, we just bought our first house. Um, so oh, yeah. congrats. Yeah, man. Thank you. So yeah, we've, uh, we've, been together for a little bit and yeah fatherhood is definitely definitely the kicker um i think for me where i just kind of went yep it's time to rock and roll and i started rocking and rolling so, yeah, um i had i had the opposite instinct in the in the sense that my dad was such a workaholic when i was growing up that i always told myself i wouldn't have kids until i was financially free mm-hmm. um so that's probably why i've ruined so many relationships over my 20s and 30s because I just wasn't there yet um, but yeah. now now I'm there and now I have to find a girl that doesn't want me for my money so that's the hard part um, <laughs> so I think that's why I want to sell this house because it's just too much yeah I mean I, I think um, you know depending on if you where you move into Texas um, there there's there's some decent choices out here I'd imagine I would hope there's some, there's some nice girls not in San Antonio. Not in San Antonio. They're all uh, enormous. I hear. Charles Barkley wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's how I heard it. That's exactly mm-hmm. how I heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charles Barkley gets it. You go to the Alamo, bro. You're in for it. One of the biggest women you ever seen in your life. It, it is truly the place for the last stand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The last stand before you have a heart attack because. <laughs> tortillas i'm telling you the the tortillas on the river walk bro Woo! <laughs> you can get some good food out there well if i end up out if i end up out in texas i'll uh i'll help you with investment ideas and you can help me with lady ideas all right yeah there we go yeah i'll i'll uh i'll see if i can get you the connect <laughs> all right <laughs> um anything else you want to cover um, I don't think so. No, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful, uh, to be able to join the podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing, uh, your financial wisdom uh, <laughs> with me and the rest of your listeners. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I didn't give much specifics, but, um, I hope that the, the broader guidance is helpful to some people. And, um, like I said, any, anyone has any, you know, specific questions that they want to ask, I'm a DM away at Liberty Lock Pod and go ahead and give people your handle so we can get that follower back up. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, at Liberty imposter, but it's E R instead of O R because, uh, you know, cause you got nuked. Got nuked. <laughs> so, well, after this, yeah. you'll be back up to 5,000 followers in no time. So See, that was kind of the plan. Yeah. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think my audience is quite that big, but, uh, there is a decent, <laughs> decent following now. So hopefully you'll get a few. Um, so anyways, uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been a blast. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you appreciated the uh, information provided and if you find it helpful and valuable, I don't get paid for doing this. I don't need to get paid. It's about spreading the message. But the best way to help me spread that message is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. So if you could do that for me and then share the show with your friends, your family, anybody that's interested in financial freedom and just freedom broadly, I think that this would be a good one for them to listen to. I hope the information provided didn't come off uh, cocky or condescending in any way. I don't intend to come off that way. I feel extremely fortunate to be in the position I'm in 
And I just want to spread this message to as many people as possible because I think that ultimately financial freedom is our best hedge against uh, our diminishing freedom. And if you leave your handle in the write-up for the review on iTunes, I will shout you out on next week's show. How fun is that? You get to hear your your stuff get said. It's just so cute and cool. Um, so do that. And then also, if you have any specific you know, economic questions or investment advice questions you want to shoot my way, feel free. At Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, I will respond. It's free. That's pretty cool. Catch you next week. Thanks.